Hey everybody, welcome to Story of Church. So glad that you are joining us today. Today we are continuing our series that we began last week. It's called The Chosen that is based on the popular show that carries the same name. Uh, I've been really enjoying the series. I hope you are as well. We've been, I've been watching it as well, trying to track along with season one, trying to finish off the season. And I really enjoy it. This show kind of tracks with Jesus's ministry. It follows the lives of the people that Jesus chose and invited to come into ministry, the people who Jesus impacted. And it's so interesting that in a world full of influencers where we live, right, the movers and the shakers, those are the ones that we look up to, the most popular, the best looking, the ones with the most wealth, the most wealth and prominence. Those are the people that we look up to. Those are the people that we admire. But Jesus took a different approach when it came to ministry, right? He built his ministry on uh, or with the lowly, with the, with the humble, with the least likely, the outcast, the rejects. That's who Jesus invited to do life with. That's who Jesus invited into ministry. That's who Jesus impacted the most, right? Perhaps the people that, if we're honest, uh, are not the people that we, maybe we would look forward to or follow, uh, and it makes a lot of sense when you look at the life of Jesus, right? Uh, in fact, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those that studied the Torah, they were looking for a Messiah to come who would come with a lot of wealth and prominence and maybe even military might. But when you look at Jesus, he did not come in a mansion, but a manger. Jesus was not born to royalty, but to working class poor. And so when you look at the life of Jesus, he led a life that was also meek and mild and humble. And so it makes total sense. And so throughout this entire series, we've been examining the people that Jesus chose and drawing, the le- drawing out lessons that we can apply. Today, we're talking about a group of people that perhaps you've never uh, thought of, you never paid attention to, the kids. We're going to be looking at a group of people, the kids. Did you ever think about Jesus having an active kids ministry? Did you ever consider that? Did that ever cross your mind? Well, you'd be, uh, you'd be happy to know that Jesus actually loved and served children, right? And it makes sense when we're talking about in this series, when we look at the life of Jesus, when we're talking about the, the lowly and the humble. It doesn't get any more lowly, doesn't get any more humble, doesn't get any more simple than children. You see, children cannot provide for themselves. They require special attention. They're, they're not strong and they're very needy. Yet Jesus had a special place in his heart. He had compassion for and he served children. And this is so countercultural because, you know, we live in a world and within a generation in particular that sees children as bothersome, as cumbersome or as a as a chore. What do you think about children? What do you believe about children? Are they just loud, you know, booger wielding, germ carrying, money sucking uh, uh, nuisances? Is that what you view children? Or do you have the perspective of Jesus? Do you have the perspective of Jesus? I had a conversation a few summers ago with a young man who was uh, kind of repulsed at the idea of settling down and having children. He says, oh, when I get married, I'm never going to have children, right? Uh, and I told him, you know, I know exactly why. I know why you believe that. It's because having children will reveal every single selfish bone that is in your body. You see, without kids, the entire world revolves around you. You can wake up whenever you want to wake up. You can do whatever you want to do. You can eat whatever you want, right? The entire world revolves around you. But the moment that you have a kid enter your life, the world is not about you anymore. It's all about that little person. And so having children will reveal every single selfish bone in your body. 
You know, children call for attention. They call for care. They call for affection and love. You know, the Bible says that all of that is a gift. In fact, look at what Psalms 127 verse 3 says. I would love for you to read this verse out loud with me. Ready, go. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Do you have this biblical perspective on children? Do you think what God thinks about children? Or have you allowed the culture to so permeate your thinking? Or have you allowed your own selfishness to permeate your thinking and your perspective? What was Jesus' perspective? Thankfully, the the scriptures give us a good idea of Jesus' perception and ministry to children. And maybe you never thought about this before. Maybe you never gave it much thought. Well, the creators of the chosen pulled back the curtain just a little bit to help us imagine what it might have been like with Jesus and his interaction with children. Check this clip out. I've never seen before. I don't know what it's for. I think he was building stuff. I don't know. And there was some food too, but even though I was hungry, I didn't take any because that would be wrong. But maybe we could take a little bit this time. What do you think? But I'm glad I didn't. Because that's when the man got there. Come on, go faster. I'm trying, Abby, but your legs are going too fast. If he comes this time, should we say something to him? I think if you're with me, it's okay. I didn't see a sword or anything like that. So I don't think he'll kill us. They seem nice. Do you have a sword? Just in case. Oh, we're almost there. Here it is. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who gives forth bread from this earth. And I pray that if there are ever two children who come visit my home here, that you will give them the courage to say shalom, so that they will know they do not have to remain in hiding. He's a good man. Amen. We are going to sleep. <laughs> What's that sound I hear? Sheep don't sound like that. No, that's definitely not sheep. Maybe a rooster? Greetings, children. You know, it is not safe for a child to wander from their home. You never know if there are bad men around. You are wise to bring your friend this time. Joshua. Shalom, Joshua. I admire your bravery to come here. You are a good friend. Well, don't worry. I'm not a bad man. See, I know it. You are free to stay for a bit, but I'm afraid I have some work to do. Okay. And thank you for not taking any food yesterday. I know it. So, what are you doing here? I'm visiting for a time. Where are you from? Nazareth. What is that wood for? I'm building something. Are you a carpenter? Sometimes, but I'm a craftsman. I build all kinds of things. So, why don't you live in the house? I travel a lot. How do you make money? Happy. Just asking him how he makes money. I know, you shouldn't. It's okay. I don't make money when I travel. So, for now, I build things and trade them for my food and clothing. What is that? Ah, this is going to be a lock and key. Joshua, ask him questions, he's nice. 
No, thank you. What else will you build? Wealthy people love decorations and toys for their children. My family isn't wealthy. Many times that's better. I don't know about that. <laughs> you will. My mom made me this. Oh, what's her name? Sarah. Very pretty. Okay, time to go home. Bye. Let me be clear and specific. You know, there, this specific interaction with Jesus and Abigail is nowhere in the Bible. Did Jesus make fart noises? Did he blow raspberries? I, I don't know. I, can't, I couldn't tell you. It's not in the Bible. But I do think it falls in line with what the rest of Scripture says about Jesus' perception of children. And here's why. Uh, because Jesus knew, number one, that children are made in the Imago Dei. Imago Dei is Latin for the image of God. And this is certainly the perception and the lens with which Jesus would have viewed children. Because we read this from the very beginning of, uh, from the Bible of the creation account of God and of whom Jesus was present and the Holy Spirit working together to form everything that we know. And we read this in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. So God created man in his own what? In his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. When God created man, he made him with the distinction between him and animals, right? There's a distinction between you and animals. There's a distinction between humankind and trees. There's a distinction between humans and fruit. Now listen, I know you love your pets, okay? But, but your pet Fluffy does not carry the Imago Dei. But you do. Every man, every woman, every child is made in the image and likeness of God. And because every human carries the Imago Dei, that means that every person carries value and worth and dignity and deserves respect. And this is true, listen to me very carefully, of every person from the womb to the tomb. Because God knows every single name. He knows every hair on your head. And He gives value to every person, no matter how big or how small. And so because children are made in the Imago Dei, Jesus valued them. To Jesus, kids were in booger factories. They were filled with intrinsic value and worth. They are known and loved by the Father. And this is certainly the perception that Jesus would have had. Do you view children with the Imago Dei? Do you view children with made in the image and likeness of God, being image bearers of God Himself? Is this your perception? Or to you, are children just annoying, attention-grabbing, pain in your side that you, uh, you're forced to give up your seat on the train to because otherwise people will judge you. Jesus saw children in the Imago Dei. Here's number two. Jesus had a soft spot for children. It's very clear in the scriptures that Jesus had a certain tenderness towards children. And there's a famous passage that demonstrates this in Mark chapter 10. Uh, you certainly uh, have read this before. You've heard it before. Uh, you know it very well. I want you guys to imagine the scene. Jesus is out preaching. He's teaching of the kingdom of God, right? He's performing miracles. He's healing the sick, right? He's training up and raising up leaders and, and discipling uh, his followers, right? He's teaching them. And all of a sudden, 
all these kids come stumbling in towards him. They're, they're jump roping and hotchkopping and, and yelling and, 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 and having all this fun. And they come in and interrupt Jesus' teaching. And here's what happens. I want you to pick up in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to him, that is Jesus, in order that he might touch them. Uh, the parents uh, knew about Jesus, this, this rabbi with this powerful teaching, and wanted the kids to come and spend time with him. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. After taking them in his arms, look at this picture of Jesus. He laid his hands on them and he blessed them. Can you guys see the tenderness that Jesus had in this passage towards children? The disciples were annoyed. They were furrow-browed and they were scolding the kids. Leave the teacher alone. Leave Jesus alone. He's busy at work. He's doing what he must do. But then Jesus' response is very different from the disciples. Right? And let's be honest. His response was probably very different than you or I would have responded in that instance. You see, Jesus said the kingdom belongs to such as these. And what he was, uh, what he was referencing to was that kids are innocent, that kids are, are humble, that they are lowly, that they are dependent. And that's who the kingdom of heaven belongs to. You know, I kind of envision Jesus kind of like Santa sitting down and the kids climbing on his knees and he's taking his time to embrace and to hug each one. And he's taking time to lay his hand on them and to pray and to bless every single child. What attitude do you have towards children? Do you have a Christ-like attitude? Or are you more like the rest of this world? Do you view children with an attitude of, of indifference or of uh, uh, being indignant or annoyed? Or are you like Jesus and you have a tenderness towards children? You have a level of understanding, of understanding their, their, their humility, of understanding their naivety, of understanding um, their lack of immaturity, of understanding their level of dependence. Do you have more of a Christ-like attitude? You know, if you're not sure, it's been my experience that uh, kids are, are some of the greatest judges of character. Right? Do you have kids flock towards you and want to spend time with you and ask you questions? Or do kids run away from you when you enter into the room? Kids have a great perception and a great judge of character. Jesus had a soft spot for children and children would run to him and embrace him. And so should we. Here's number three, and that is that Jesus ministered to children. Did you ever consider that part of Jesus' ministry involved actually serving children? Of course, you guys know the ministry that Jesus did to the woman at the well and, you know, you know Peter's mother-in-law and the blind beggar and all these adults that Jesus impacted throughout his ministry. But did you ever consider that among the crowds and among the people that Jesus served were also children? We look at one such instance in, uh, in the scriptures where Luke is describing Jesus' ministry of healing and delivering people. And we pick it up in Luke chapter 8, verse 40. It says, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. And just then, a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet, and he pleaded with him to come to his house. Because he had only one daughter, and how old was she? She was only 12 years old, and she was dying. 
In this passage, we see this religious leader that comes and he approaches this Jesus, this religious leader. And, you know, in Jesus' day, um, this is something that just wouldn't happen. A religious leader, respected leader from the synagogue would not be seen running towards another teacher, let alone uh, in desperation, crying out to him, groveling to him, bent before him, asking him to do a miracle. Yet Jairus has reached this point of desperation when he will do absolutely anything to see his daughter made well. Uh, if you have a child and you know exactly this sort of desperation when, when they're sick. You know, I remember when, when Junior was a little baby and, and he was coughing and he was sick and, and he was staying up all night, man, out of, the, out of desperation in the middle of the night, pitch black outside. I remember walking for blocks and blocks to go to the closest um, pharmacy in order to buy him some medicine just to see him made well. I remember Christian being hospitalized uh, one time and being standing up all night. They're performing tests on him and, and, uh, and I was with him by his side, just in desperation, laying my hands upon him and begging God to heal him. And I remember Melody as well, when she was sick, her eyes bulging out of her head and coughing her lungs up. And we took her to specialist after specialist and no one was able to diagnose what her problem was. And she was taking all these medicines until finally, uh, one, one doctor finally told her, yeah, she's asthmatic and was able to treat her appropriately for the disease that she had. And it is in those moments, in those moments of desperation, where as a parent, you're willing to do absolutely anything. And this is where Jairus finds himself. Well, Jesus goes on to towards Jairus's house in order to perform uh, this miracle. And then this happens in Luke chapter 8, verse 51. After he came to the house, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her because at this point she had passed away. But Jesus said this full of faith. Stop crying because she is not dead but asleep. So he took her by the hand and he called out, Child, get up. Her spirit returned and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she be given something to eat and her parents were astounded. Check this out, guys. Jesus traveled to the home of Jairus in order to minister to this young 12-year-old girl. And with a gentle touch and with power-filled words, he's able to heal her from her deathbed. Jesus went out of his way to serve this young child. You know, I love this scene um, that shows us what it might have been like for Jesus to be spending time with and instructing, discipling some small children. What did a Jesus ministry look like? Maybe it looked a little bit like this. Check you it out. Remember when David had the chance to kill King Saul, who was evil to him, but he didn't. Saul was God's anointed, and it was not the right time for justice. And God says he will have compassion on his people when, what? Let's see if someone who studies this at school is learning, huh? When their strength is gone? Yes, very good. So, maybe we let God provide the justice. Hmm? Maybe we handle these things in a different way. Not trying to be the strongest all the time. Even Messiah? You will have to see. But do not expect Messiah to arrive in Jerusalem on a tall horse carrying weapons. And he will be most pleased with those of you who are the peacemakers. I still don't understand what is your reason for being here. I'm telling you this because even though you are children, 
and the elders in your life have lived longer. Many times, adults need the faith of children. And if you hold on to this faith, really tightly, someday soon, you will understand all of what I am saying to you. But you ask an important question, Abigail. What is my reason for being here? And the answer is for all of you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah. Isaiah. I have loved spending this time with you. You are all so very special. And I hope that my next students ask the same questions you do and that they listen to my answers. But I suspect they do not have the understanding you do. And I hope that when the time comes, they will tell others about me like you have. Because Jesus saw children in the Imago Dei, he saw the potential in children. He spent time with, he invested in, he taught, and he served children. How about you? Do you view children as someone else's burden to instruct? Well, Danny, that's not my job. That's for somebody else to do. That's for the kids' ministry of the church to do. That's for the teachers at school to do. Or do you view yourself as a meaningful and important addition to this child's life to instruct, to disciple, to coach, to mentor, to speak life to, to instruct? Do you view yourself as an integral part of a child's life? What if you took a child, one of the children in our church, under your wing? What if you mentored? What if you discipled? What if you coached? How can you be serving children? How can you help raise up a generation of children that love Jesus, that are passionate about ministry and seeing people far from God come into a growing relationship through Jesus? Maybe you could be a a meaningful addition to another child's life. Now, here's the last thing for today. We're going to wrap up with this number four. That is that Jesus wants us to have a childlike faith. There's an important distinction Uh, whenever Jesus had interactions with children. He made an important distinction between the way he treated and spoke about adults and how he spoke to and treated children. You see, he did not call children to behave like adults, which is what me and you tend to do all the time. We want our kids to behave like adults, right? But Jesus never called that out in children. In fact, what he always did was call adults to be like children. In one instance in the scriptures, uh, the disciples are asking Jesus, who is the greatest? And, and, you know, a few times the disciples missed the mark. As you guys know, as you read uh, the, uh, the New Testament, they wanted greatness to be like close to Jesus, the right hand of God in heaven, or to be popular, to have wealth, or to have notoriety. Um, but Jesus takes a child to teach them this lesson in Matthew chapter 18, verse 4. And Jesus said, therefore, Whoever humbles himself like this child, 
This one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. What was Jesus referring to? What Jesus was referring to that a child has humility and dependence and has a childlike faith. He has this childlike faith and dependence. You know, when a, when a child begins to take uh, his or hers first few steps, they have this overwhelming sense of trust that their parents are going to be there to catch them after they stumble or when they stumble. You know, my, uh, my sister-in-law put, sent us a video in the family chat of her, of her daughter, of, of our niece, taking her first few steps. And what you see is my, my sister-in-law sitting on the floor, arms out, calling her daughter to come and walk to her. And here comes my niece taking these wobbly steps, takes about 10 or 12 steps, walking towards her mom, and then she falls into the ready and loving arms of her mother as she grabs her and embraces her and hugs her and celebrates the 12 steps that she just finished taking. You see, every child knows that the parent will have there, they have this faith that the parent will be there to catch them. Do you have that childlike faith? Because if not, in this instance, you have a lot that you can learn from a child, right? Jesus calls us to have the faith of a child, which means to have a confidence in God, to have a, a trust in Jesus. It means that you don't have to have all the answers and have all your ducks lined up in a row. It doesn't mean you don't go without confusion or you don't go through struggles and and troubles. But what it means that if you stumble, you have this overwhelming sense of confidence that your heavenly father will be there to catch you. What do you put your faith in? You put your faith in Jesus, that his life that his death, that his resurrection is what grants you forgiveness of sin, is what grants you newness of life, and is what grants you the promise of an eternity away from all the pain and the sorrow and disease and with our Heavenly Father. It's the faith that without Jesus we are dead in our sin and in our trespasses, but with Jesus we are forgiven, we are loved, and we are welcomed into the family of God. And what do you need? to experience all of this. All you need is a childlike faith in Jesus. If you haven't done that, I want to encourage you to do that today, to put your faith in Jesus. Hey, here's a challenge for you. What role do you see yourself in the lives of children? How do you view children? Do you have the perspective of Jesus? What if God is equipping you and calling you to make a difference in some children's lives here in our church, in our community. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to see all people in the Imago Dei, made in the image and likeness of God, and thereby um, worthy of respect and dignity and value. As Jesus had a soft spot for children, Lord, I pray you would give us hearts of compassion and tenderness towards children. Help us to see our role in discipling the next generation of world changers and disciple makers. And I pray, God, that we might have a childlike faith and confidence in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.